Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now age of radio What's going on, everybody? We are back. This is episode 228 of the Dark Windows podcast. My name is also Kevin. My name is Kevin. I fucked you there, didn't I? You didn't know what to do. No, no. I was like, okay, he went <laughs> like, oh, there. Shit. He went there, so I'm gonna. I'm just going to go, my name is Kevin. Yeah, through a knuckleball. I got to figure out if I'm swinging or just uh, letting it go by. Uh, I was going to let it go by, just say fuck it, but... Speaking of which, man, we're less than 50 days to opening day, so... Uh, is it really opening day? Yes. the we're... baseball pl- classic is coming up. Uh, I mean, like, opening day for Major League. Well... Because we... Unless you have, like, the Fox streaming shit, you can't watch the baseball uh, World Baseball Classic. I don't know. Which sucks, because I would love to watch it. But, anyway, this has nothing to do with baseball. Mm-mm. Um it does have two nationalities that, as soon as they became Americans, both kind of excelled in baseball, you okay. know, the Irish and Italians. So, uh, anyway, so we're going to finish off this episode of uh, the series for Danny Green this week. About goddamn time. I mean... You don't mean that because shit's about to get real spicy out in Cleveland. We're not talking about the chili with goddamn noodles on the bottom of it either. It's a thing. I know. Cleveland chili. I know. Yep. Only good thing that's ever happened in Cleveland is chili. In Major League. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that was filmed in California. But, you know. I don't know. I don't know. I know the river catches on fire occasionally. Cuyahoga is flammable, which is a little weird. But um, So last week we, we ended with uh, the attempted murder of... Uh, of a guy named Mike Fredo, uh, Fredo, 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 Fado, whatever the fuck his last name is, um, at a gas station that he owned, um, where the bomber, quote unquote bomber, Art Sneppinger got uh, got blowed up. But uh, it seems like it's more likely that it was Danny Green himself that detonated the bomb on the way by and killed the guy. Drive by bombing. Yeah, I mean, he was also last week also the victim of a drive by car bombing. If True. you remember. True. Um, so over the course of the next month or so, Mike Frado kind of changed his life. Um, he had been kind of a jovial, outgoing guy that people got along with. Um, now he's kind of starting to put the pieces together that, hey, that gas station that I owned that I work at that got blown up, I think they were trying to kill me, which, I mean, it's not a, not a, a far jump to make, 
I don't think, especially when you've had uh, negative interactions with these people that are suspected of doing it. So he took a few steps to protect himself. He he gets himself this neat little unregistered 38 caliber handgun revolver and uh, becomes friends with a, a guy by the name of Gus Palladino, who, if you couldn't guess by that name, he's an up and coming gangster in Cleveland. So um, he's uh, he's definitely uh, he's French. Yeah. French. Pal- Palladino. Yeah. You know, from the Champagne region of France. Yep. Yep. Those greasy French. Those goddamn <laughs> greasies. So between the two of them, they, they did a lot of talking and they figured that the best thing to do was eat baguettes. Yes. Go home. But they also figured surrender. No. Well, Shh. we're talking like pre-World War II French. So they would still fight. No, they'd still surrender. No, if World War One, they were fucking ridiculous. They fought their asses off in World War One, And their government just sucked in World War II, that's all. But, you know, the people. La Resistance, they fought. Mm. You know, they, uh, they did what they could with what they had. You can only kill so many Germans with hard cheese and day-old bread. Your son is quite pissed. Yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah, she's grabbing him now. <laughs> you know who would have made really good assassins, though? Mimes. Creeds. Really fucking quiet. Mimes? Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's uh, watching them setting up a noose for Nazis. No, they wouldn't have made good nine, good uh, hand over hand. They wouldn't have made. They're so quiet though. But no, because they try to kill you with a. They're fucking, French ninjas. They would try to kill you with a fake knife. Uh, a knife doesn't exist. Imaginary knife. I'm telling you, you watch one of them throw a noose over an imaginary tree and hook it up to a Nazi when they're standing behind him, and they start just hand over hand in it, and the guy just comes off the ground like fucking magic, like he's being force choked. They're missing. Uh, Mm, and some shit right there. Mm. So they figured that Mike Mike can't die if they get Danny dead first. You know? Okay. So That's how it always works. Yeah, they come up with this plan that they're they're gonna go find him and they're gonna go fucking kill him. So Friday, November twenty sixth, which is less than a month after the gas station explosion, Fredo and Paladino turn off the intersection of one forty to one one fortieth Street and Lakeshore Boulevard. And uh, Danny just so happens to be out walking his three little dogs. Um, sees a Buick Riviera kind of coming towards him. Car slows down. And the window rolls down. It's his buddy, Mike. Hey, how you hey, doing? Not quite. Because Mike goes, hey, quote, fuck you, you Mick motherfucker. Um, okay. Well, I thought it was To which close. Danny responds in kind, you know, very cordial. Yeah, fuck you, you Dago bastard. Okay. Okay. As these things do, as these things go. I mean, that's that's that's, that's cordial, you know. Hello. It, that's how people talk to each other in Brooklyn. You know, it would have been like whatever. You know. So, I guess so. I mean, I'm not saying I'm I during know. this time frame. Yeah, they would have possibly. Now it's just a bunch of white dudes, bicycle tire, organic bike tire factories, and gluten free. Yeah, dude. Brooklyn is full of white people. We ruined it. Yeah. Have you been to Brooklyn lately? No, but I know there's entirely too many white people there. But how do you know? Because I've listened to Wu-Tang, and I know what Brooklyn is supposed to look like, and okay. it's not supposed to look like me. Okay. <laughs> but I haven't been to Brooklyn. I want, if somebody is from Brooklyn or from the area that has been to Brooklyn, tell us what it's like. I'm telling you, there is a lot of white because people Because I'm going to tell you, back in the 50s, Brooklyn was white. Yeah. And then black folks started moving in, and the yeah. whites went, oh, and they left, and then it became 
Brooklyn. Okay. It like, you know, it, it became its own culture, you know, because you were from Brooklyn. You had your own thing. You had your own, fu- they have their own fucking accent in Brooklyn. It's completely different. And then yeah. white people came back in and started making cupcake shops and shit or whatever, like fucking millennials do. I don't know. I think that I, I, this guy that I know that uh, drives a bus and has another place in, you know, um, close by. I think he's from Brooklyn, and he was, remember talking to him about about it, and he's like, "Yeah, it's not as uh, great as you." Okay, so if you're a white dude that grew up in Brooklyn in the '70s. You're built differently than the white dudes that are in Brooklyn now. He grew up in Brooklyn before the 70s. Okay, but still, different breed of white dude than what's in Brooklyn now. You know, we're talking like a lot of goofy mustaches and just hipster shit. I don't live in that area, so I don't know. I don't think whites are allowed in Harlem still. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure you can. I'm pretty sure. Just because Bill Clinton had an office there doesn't mean anything. Pretty sure it doesn't matter. Anyway, so now, they, they they had their in- inductions of right of how you doing, how so, you doing. So they had their exchange here, and uh, Mike pulls his piece and just starts fucking firing rounds out the window at Danny. Uh huh. Um, and of course the car is past him at this point in time, so they're they're about thirty feet away, right? So Danny does the absolute right thing first. He lets go of his dogs because a gunfight is no place for dogs. No. Ask John Wick. Gunfight's no place for a dog. This is how you create John Wick. Except, you know, Irish-American John Wick would probably have been more of an alcoholic, I would think. Just potato-faced John Wick. Red hair. You know. Um, So he then grabs his thirty-eight from the back of his waistband. Danny took, like, three or four running steps. The car's still moving. Mike Fredo's still out the window shooting at him. Um, later on, it would, according to Danny, he's pretty sure that Fredo ran out of, out of bullets. Cause it's a, it's a, it's a six shot revolver. You only get so many and they're not quick to reload. Mm-hmm. Um, Danny fired twice at a distance of, from what he says about 25 feet. The first round hit the passenger side mirror, blowing it clean off the car. The other round hit Mike Fredo right between the eyebrows. Dead. Keep in mind, he, remember, he was real good with firearms. He was a, a firearm instructor in the Marine Corps because uh-huh. he was that good with them. Yeah. So yeah. Right, 25 yards with a hand with a, a revolver for him, that's nothing. Yeah. On a moving target, fuck it. Good thing he didn't have a Mini-14 because, like, <laughs> that would have been one round fired, and that would have been it. He'd have killed both of them with one shot at 25 yards. Well, in the 70s? Yeah. Maybe the M16. I mean, or, you know, M14. No, they had an M16. Yeah, but he wouldn't have had that as a civilian, most likely. He wasn't a rifle guy. He was. Most gangsters are not fucking long oh, gun no, guys. No, no, they're, they're pistols because I mean, you can hide yeah. in a. But I'm saying if he went into the jacket. military, you know, he would have trained with an M16. Mm, I don't know. It was early, early in the '60s, so that was like back when the M16 was dog shit. So uh, you know, Paladino freaks out here. Obviously, drives to the hospital. Um, by the time he gets there, Mike is closer to room temperature than he was that morning. Um, Danny goes into hiding until Sunday when he calls the Cleveland Police Department and uh, asks to speak to Detective Jim Fierst. Um, the two meet at this kind of sketchy hotel in uh, 
<laughs> and uh, Danny kind of, he pleads his case. He's like, it was self-defense. As I walk in my dogs, these fucking assholes pull up, start, they insulted me. They, they used racial slurs against me, a white man. Oh. So I killed him. Because <laughs> he, I mean, he shot at me too. So, um, and uh, the detective believes him. <laughs> He's like, listen, we still have to go down to the precinct. You got to tell, you know, you got to tell the DA, you got to tell my higher ups your story. See where we go from there, you know. He's like, well, you know, I thought I just winged the guy. Then I saw in the paper a couple days later, he was dead. That's why I came forward. Because if I had just wounded him, I wouldn't have worried about it. Then I found out, shit, he's dead. So here I am, accidental murderer. Um, so in full disclosure, you know, because Danny is an upstanding citizen, he's like, hey, listen, I'll uh-huh. even tell you where to find the gun that I accidentally, unintentionally killed this man with, uh-huh. that I also tried to have killed about... 14 days earlier. Wait, um, he didn't tell him that. No, no, but he's like, I'll tell you where the gun is. Oh, yeah. And um, after taking the police, you know, he, he he's like, take me out there. I'll show you. About two hours later, they find the gun. He's cut loose. Luck of the Irish continues. Because, again, it was self-defense. He didn't mean to kill this guy. Didn't mean to shoot him in his face. But, uh. Well, even if he, you know, did shoot back at him, even if he was shot at first. Exactly. There's no way to prove that he wasn't shot at first. Right, because there's no casings. Because it's dead person versus, you know, live person. And then you got a a fucking wannabe tough guy gangster that's trying to move up in the ranks that's going to be very tight-lipped. I didn't see nothing. I didn't see shit. Uh Dead man in my car. I didn't see nothing. I dropped him off of the hospital. I didn't see shit. (laughs) What are you talking about? I'm blind in my right eye. I didn't see nothing. Didn't hear shit. Crazy. Tinnitus, all that. My fucking left ear's blind. You know, my right I, ear. Whatever. I, I stopped at the hospital, and all of a sudden, I know the Boom. fucking door's open. He bang, fucking And fu- I just drive away. Yeah. He got out. Him. He walked himself into the hospital. Yeah. Bullet in his head and everything. He was like, hey, listen, take me to the hospital. Yeah. You know, and I was like, okay. Yeah. Doesn't matter if there's fucking brain chunks on the inside of my windshield. Wait. And it smells like pennies in here. You said you didn't... <laughs> Wait, you said you didn't hear any gunshots. No, he just said, take me to the hospital. That's all. I I thought he was sick. Yeah. He got out. He got the flu or some shit. Whatever. All of a sudden, here he is. He got the appendicitis. dead. (laughs) And I was like, boom. Hey, the next thing I know, I read about in the paper. He's fucking dead. What am I supposed to do? Right. Come on. So this is a detail that I, I debated whether I really wanted to put it in, but I had to because of... A tie-in to approximately, oh God, a hundred and hundred and twenty-ish episodes ago in that neighborhood. So Danny tells his buddy uh, Shandor Burns that he wants to open quote an after-hours club in East uh, over in the eastern half of Cleveland, where uh, you know he he would you know mostly a club for you know the connected guys. They go get drunk, they gamble. We got whores, you know, it's a party every night. Um. So after doing some math, Danny figures I'm going to need about 70 K to get this thing going. Mm. Not bad. It's a lot of money for back then. A but, lot of, a lot of cheddar. Yeah. But due to his own horrible, I mean, allegedly horrible gambling, drinking and whoring problems, he's completely fucking broke. Uh huh. Um, so <laughs> I'm sure in the back of Danny's mind here, he went, Shandor Burns is a Jew. He's got money, right? Uh huh. So, I'll ask him for a loan. And uh, turns out he's got no money either. <laughs> but 
he takes a trip out east. He has a sit down with a guy by the name of Fat Tony Salerno, the head of the Genovese crime family. Ah. They're buddies. They've met before. They have spoken frequently. They broke bread. Yeah. Yeah. And they know better than to break, you know, spaghetti before you boil it. It goes in the pot. Of course. Fucking right. Ooh. You don't break. You don't no. break pasta. You fucking break it. You get your break, legs breaking. My my my, my ancestry has proven that I'm not Italian, once and for all. But I still know you don't break goddamn pasta. And the Spanish don't eat pasta, so I'm not worried about it. It's very debatable. How is it debatable? Can... If it's Italian, it's like fucking Alps. It's Mountain Guinea at the at the <laughs> least. You're <laughs> uh, <laughs> Hey, how you doing? It'll lay, get the fuck out of here. Uh, oh, Jesus. Um, so anyway. Oh, did I say that really loud? In the that's mic? funny. <laughs> so after a few drinks. Uh, You're like, get the fuck, come on. Oh, but, uh, <laughs> oh, God. All I can think now. All I can think of now is the fucking Ricola commercials. Spaghetti. <laughs> Uh, primavera, Ricotta. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Oh man, dude. it's ricotta, dude. Ricotta flavored cough drops. I'd get down with that. No, I fucking love that that uh, cheese. Oh. I hate ricotta. Oh, it's so good in lasagna. I don't like it. Anybody that puts fucking cottage cheese in their lasagna instead of ricotta, I'd rather not have it in it at all. You probably put fucking lettuce in there like no. all those weirdos. What? Oh yeah, dude. There's fucking weird people that put lettuce in there in, in lasagna. No. Yeah, no. 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 You just fucking. Just I don't want to eat wet leaves. Thanks. You no. You just fucking leave it without that other bullshit in it. It doesn't fucking... taste right without yes, that in it. It tastes fine. You're fucking wrong. Anyway, you're fucking. I'm up. right. You're fucking up. Um. So they have a couple of drinks, and Burns kind of decides. You know, now's about time to get down to brass tacks. <laughs> He goes, uh, listen, I've got a friend. How much for the ape? Yes. <laughs> and people will understand that reference, thankfully, too. Um, I got I got a friend. His name's Danny. He wants to start a club. Uh-huh. And Tony goes, well, Danny's kind of like, Danny, huh? What's his last name? He goes, oh, it's Danny Green. And he goes, oh. And I quote, why are you getting involved with those crazy fucking Irish? Our friends in Brooklyn, and he, this he means the Gambino family, are doing the same with those nutty Westies out in Hell's Kitchen. You can't trust these Irish. They have no fucking sense of honor. So, little tie into the Westies here. That's why I had to put this specific detail in. Well, yeah, and he also has tie back to some other crazy Jews. Yeah, in, yeah, he does. Uh, you know, back in... Uh, well, it would have been his predecessors that would have been hooked up with, uh, with Murder, Inc., because Fat Tony hadn't been the boss very long at this point in time, in the like mid sixties, seventies. This would have been so. The ones you're thinking it would have been like Vito Genovese and like those guys would have had would have had hookups to to Murder Inc. Um, was it? Was yeah. it still? Yeah, because he would have been like fresh off the boat, like head of the family at that no, point. No, no, no. But no, because uh, what's this fuck that we talked about there? The Ah, uh, shit, the one we did that I, I covered. Um, oh, the Kimura War? Yeah. Yeah. That's a Patreon episode, Dark Windows Podcast. Yeah. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash Dark Windows Podcast, I should say. Oh, that's a good plug. And you can uh, go over and listen to that one. 
which is not related, but also related somewhat to this episode. That's how yes. we like to do shit. We're going to, I mean, you know, we're going to talk about those uh, fellas in the Murder Oh, Inc. yeah, yeah. Murder Inc. is definitely going to be an episode that happens. Yeah. Bugsy Siegel, uh, you know, Lucky Luciano and... Cause that's so weird. That's that's that lucky Luciano is because uh, yeah he was part related to you know involved. Yeah, yeah. I he, thought that what's his fucking oh. Meyer Lansky was was in with them too and yeah talk about maybe not the scariest Bugsy dude, Siegel. but he knew enough scary dudes that you should be worried. You know. Um, well, anyway, that's neither yeah. here nor there. So after being back in Cleveland for a few days, uh, Burns gets word that, you know, hey, money's all yours. You just have to figure out how to get it because I'm not sending one of my guys out of town with this much money because I'm just not doing that. You want it. You have to figure out how to get it back to you because if I send my guys, we have eyes on us already anyway. Hmm. This guy gets fucking hemmed up with 70 grand in his pocket. What's that going to look like? So he gets a hold of a guy by uh, gets hold of a guy by the name of Billy Cox, and he goes, "Hey, why don't you go pick this up for me?" You know, he's worked with him before. Billy Cox is a drug dealer and a fucking idiot. Um, and he gets the money, and he's headed back from New York. Mm-hmm. By all accounts, doesn't even make it out of the city, and he gets an idea that he's got a hookup in New York. And if he goes and buys $70,000 of pure, uncut cocaine, he can bring it back to Cleveland, he can step on it, and he can sell it for about $300,000, right? You cut it with fucking baby formula or laxative or whatever you need to, you can flip that shit and make three hundred grand. Are you kidding? What a, what a great idea. This is fucking... The 70s, so... Oh, yeah, dude. Coke is flowing like a motherfucker. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, this is... Well, I mean, technically, like, the late 60s, but still. Coke was fucking huge. Well, it got bigger in the 70s. Yes, this is also before the uh, the CIA invented crack cocaine and gave that to the black community yeah. to destroy them even further than they already had. Um, so, he gets the Coke, goes and buys all the fucking... All the fixins to, uh, to cut it and mix with... Um, and he's in his apartment one night and the police get tipped off that this guy has got a mountain of cocaine in his apartment. So the cops come a knocking and he flushes as much of this as he can and throws the rest of it out the back open window of his apartment. Guess who really didn't give a fuck where the Coke or the money went? The Genovese's that's who. Mm. Yeah. Um, because as far as they're concerned, Danny wanted the money. He's responsible for paying it back wherever it is. True. If if it's go like flowing through the fucking the the sewer system of Cleveland or blowing away on a bird's wings, you know, didn't give a fuck because they're going to get their money back. Oh uh, yeah, one way or another. Yes. So or else you're. I mean, well, the, that's that's the not other would be you're dead. So that's that's not leg breaking money. That's we're gonna fucking cut your tongue out and feed you to dogs money. Yeah, 70, like 70 grand is nothing that they're going to fucking you'll be sleeping with the fishes. Yeah, for sure. If you're lucky, uh, more, more likely you'd get found in the trunk of your own car with a bunch of bullets in you. Mm. Um, so after the death of John Scalise, who I didn't realize I'd been mispronouncing his name 
incorrectly, but the uh, last name is Scalise. He was the head of the Cleveland family. Um, how do you pronounce it before? Scalish. Because that's how it's spelled. It's S-C-A-L-I-S-H. But it's pronounced Scalise. Okay. He had, he had changed it to like... He had changed the spelling. Apparently, like when his family came over, they changed it to try to whiten it up or whatever to blend in like a lot of people would have. Well, it's not... Yeah, it's not so much to whiten it up. It's just because... Americanize it. Mm-hmm. That's what it is because you don't want to stick out like a sore dick, you know, so to speak. You right. know, because you, it's like a, well, a lot of people they they change their name because, or had their name changed. Yeah, and they came over here. They pronounced their name. They're like, yeah, no, that's got too many vowels in they're it. They're like, yeah. <laughs> so we they changed their name, and they're like, ah, oh, fuck. You oh, know? you're Polish. We're just gonna throw a ski at the end of that. Uh, Paul Golowski, yes. Yeah. Well, that that that's why um, there's such a high population of uh, of Jews in England that have the last name of Cohen, because that was just like when they started, you know, moving to England, they're just like, ah, no, 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 no. You're, okay, so what's your last name? No, it's not gonna happen. You're a Cohen now. Thanks. That's pretty easy to spell. Um, so one guy whose family did not Americanize their name would be James Blackie Licavoli. Um, <laughs> You made that one. I up. swear to God, I didn't. And my first thought was black licorice. <laughs> um, so he is elected the new boss of the Cleveland Crime Syndicate, basically. Um, and due to his friendship with John Nardi, Danny is now finding himself at odds with his old buddy Shandor Burns and the Italians out east, meaning back in New York. So Shandor went back to New York to have another face-to-face with Fat Tony, and he told him the whole interchange about the money. So Salerno informed him that since he brokered the deal, Burns is responsible for paying it back, plus 5% interest a week. Well, that's, that's, we're, now we're, we're, we're fucking ramping it up here. And I'm pretty sure it's not 5% a week going forward from here. We're, we're going we're gonna to retroact that. You're going to owe us 5% from the time this deal was made. Mm. <laughs> so you owe us a bunch of money. Um but for the disrespect from Danny Green, because when they got when when Shandor got back, Danny started running his goddamn mouth about all of the Italians in New York. Tony basically tells him, I want him taken care of because he used my name and I don't like that. So he's got to go. OK, so now now it officially becomes the rest of the episode basically becomes the hunt for Danny Green, <laughs> which is. More exciting than the hunt for Red October. Ooh, yeah. really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, hmm. my God, dude. <laughs> so many fucking things happen here. So when uh, when Burns returns, uh, returns, when he returns to Cleveland, he had a meeting with the higher ups in the mob there and told them that uh, Salerno was offered a, is, you know, authorized a $20,000 open contract on the head of Danny Green. Anybody that can cash in on this will get the money. We just want proof that you're the one that killed him. Okay. Okay. Every Tom, Dick, and Nunzio saw this as quick money. <laughs> I thought I'd pop you with that one. <laughs> Every Tom, Dick, and Nunzio. Yeah. Um, so, so one of them, uh, one of these uh, plans to kill Danny Green came when uh, Danny pulled up to get some gas, and uh, the station attendant noticed something hanging off the bottom of his car. This was back when you pulled into a gas station, you hit the little. 
the cord, you get the ding ding, the dude yep, would come yep. fucking running out, he'd pump your gas, he'd check your oil and shit. In the car. <laughs> and he's not gonna like jam a finger in your ass, you know. <laughs> Mr. Green, how you doing? Bend over. <laughs> Poke him in the butthole. You knew where I was going. Oh yeah. That. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I didn't call the night. Beep. Checking his oil. Check your oil. No, not any, not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that. Yeah. Uh huh. So, in your car, not you. Yeah. So as he's you know fucking trotting across the parking lot, he sees something hanging off the bottom of the car. But his balls. And uh, his, his car balls. <laughs> Dandy himself's like, what the hell are you talking about? So he gets out. He crawls under the car. And it turns out that uh, whoever did this used cheap duct tape. And it broke. Sons of bitches. Leaving the explosive just kind of hanging off the bottom of his car. Ooh. All right. And uh, at this point, he gets a hold of uh, Detective Kovacic, um, who had kind of not... He had unknowingly moved within like two blocks of Danny because he had moved out to Collingwood. Uh-huh. So they're they're literally on the same street as each other. These two guys that <laughs> they have professional courtesy for each other because they're on opposite sides of the law. They kinda like each other. Like, I go have a beer with him. Yeah, he's a decent dude. But this guy is doing illegal shit and doesn't want to get caught. This guy is a cop and wants to put him behind bars. Uh-huh. You know? So they're kind of, you know, almost like cat and mouse kind of thing, except the cat and mouse are almost friends a little bit. Mm -hmm. So he gets a hold of him, and they go out to dinner, and uh, Danny starts going into his pockets, and Kovacic apparently got a little nervous about this because (laughs) in the middle of a fucking restaurant, this guy's rifling through his pockets. What's he doing? Mm -hmm. Um, He produces a battery, a timer, a broken clothespin, and a couple of blasting caps, and just kind of sets them on the table between the two of them. The detective's like, well, where's the fucking dynamite then? You know, just kind of joking. And Danny goes, it wasn't dynamite. It was C4, and it's headed back to whoever sent it to me in the first place. <laughs> so, hold on. Hold on. So, look at all this shit. They tried to kill me. Where's the explosives? I'm going to fucking kill him with it. <laughs> Don't think you're supposed to tell the cops that. But, uh, again, when you are a rat for the FBI... You can kind of do whatever you want to do, as we're about to find out. March 5th, 1975, Shandor Burns is leaving Christie's Lounge. He'd, you know, been out with a couple of friends having drinks. Mm-hmm. He's telling him, you know, within the next couple months, I'm done cashing in my chips. I'm going to move down to Miami to spend the rest of my days on the beach, just drinking, staring at half-naked women. It's going to be great. Because, you know, almost stereotypically... Old Jewish dude's like, I'm going to move to Florida. You know, maybe Boca. Who knows? Fuck it. But, because I mean, like, every old Jewish mobster, when they retired, moved to Florida. Unless it was the uh, 40s, 50s, early 60s. Then they moved to Cuba because shit was cheap and you could do whatever you wanted. Um, He says his goodbyes and he... He walks outside and climbs into his powder blue Cadillac Eldorado, which is a sweet fucking car. Probably like in 1973, 1974, he didn't, wasn't known for keeping cars around long. Um, his car is parked across the street from St. Malachi's Church. So when he slid the key in to the lock and turned it, the explosive that was rigged to the tumbler went off and cut Shandor Burns in half. Oh. 
<laughs> the blast was so powerful that they found pieces of him on the stairs of the church, which was about 75 feet from his car. Wow. These guys don't fuck around, as you're about to find out with explosives. They maybe go a little heavy-handed. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> So one of the guys he'd been drinking with came running out and saw him laying on the ground. It looked like he had, like, the explosion had knocked him down and, like, under the car a little bit. Mm -hmm. So he goes over and he grabs him under the arms and he starts dragging him away from the car, trying to get him to safety. And he looks down and realizes he was only dragging the top half of him. The rest of him is gone. Uh, They found fucking bone fragments and chunks of shit stuck to the outside of the church. It was on the stairs. It was on the other side of the fucking street. They, yeah. Um, so guess what kind of explosive was used in said bombing? C4. Yep. Sure. fucking was, man, I'm fucking good. I know. And you don't even have a copy of my, my notes here. You're just paying attention, man. You're on, on the fucking ball. You know, I'm fucking winging it tonight. You know, I'm, 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 you know. Not that we ever have each other's notes in front of us because we don't. Oh, That's just not no. how we how we I roll. Slap your hand. Yeah. So the death of Burns didn't really fix Danny's problems. Um, kind of made it worse, if anything. Okay. So not long after uh, after all this, Danny and his wife separate. He moves into his own little apartment, um, out in the middle of Collingwood, not mm. far from where he where he grew up. Um, when I say an apartment, I mean a two story apartment building that he bought. I was like, okay, see ya, fuck off, and just kicked everybody out, and he had his own giant goddamn place. Oh, wow. Had no, had fucking walls knocked out, just it, basically two floors, like made himself a two-story house mm-hmm. out of an apartment building. So he had a huge fucking place. Wow. Um, uh, so here's, here he made what could have kind of, yeah, kind of been like a, a fatal mistake for a normal person. Uh, <laughs> there was a local Hell's Angels chapter just down the street from him. And they were always out making noise. They're on their fucking bikes. They're, you know, they're being Hell's Angels. That's basically what I'm trying to get at here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, by all accounts, he walked into their clubhouse during church. Like, they're having a meeting. They're in there with their patched members having a meeting. And he apparently just fucking flung the door of the office open. It was like, you assholes need to keep it down because you're disturbing the rest of the neighborhood. And uh, then he just left. (laughs) He just fucking walked out. But I have a theory as to why he did this. Mm-hmm. Oh, also on his way, he told him if they didn't shut the fuck, he'd blow up, uh, shut up. He'd blow their fucking clubhouse up. Um, <laughs> so again, another group that's pretty goddamn proficient with explosives and you're going to threaten them. Pretty not smart idea. No, but I think the reasoning he did this is he's trying to keep the feds and cops out of the area because he's still clearly doing illegal shit. He's not going to stop. He's he's in too deep to stop doing uh-huh. illegal shit now. Um, he made, he made friends with like the neighbors around the area. He spent like by all accounts from everybody in the neighborhood, he was spending hundreds of dollars a week on the ice cream truck for the local kids. Like the ice cream truck would come down his street and it would stop in front of his apartment and the kids would be following it for goddamn blocks. And he'd just get them all in line and he would just pay for everything. You know, it's, it's a cover. 
all criminals do this shit to keep everybody kind of like, oh, no, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. He would never, you know, blow up his friend or, uh, you know, do anything illegal. You what know? are talking about? He wouldn't do that. It's not Danny. Danny's a good guy. He used to buy me fucking ice cream when I was yeah. a kid. You, great guy. Fucking, good fucking guy. Are you kidding me? Uh, that fucking guy would never. And, of course, you know, he's helping old ladies across the street because he was a Boy Scout, after all, for a little bit. Um, yep, yep. And, of course, he still has enemies because yeah. <laughs> this story wouldn't be as much fun if he didn't have any enemies. If not, we're just talking about good guy Danny Green. And he's not. He's an asshole. Like, I mean. Oh, yeah. He, no, he's, he's a piece of shit, dude. <laughs> uh, so May 12th, 1975, two guys trying to make a name for themselves and uh, kind of move up the food chain of the, the mob here a little bit. Plant bombs on the front and back of Danny's apartment. He's in bed with his new girlfriend, Debbie, when the front bomb exploded and threw him out of bed. Um, and when he's laying on the floor, the floor underneath him collapses, and he ends up in what was left of his kitchen. She stayed in bed. He's bruised. He's cut. Uh, he's now the proud owner of two broken ribs, not even cracked, full-on broken. Um, and he gets up and rushes back up the stairs to check on his girlfriend. Um and she'd kind of, she dodged a bullet here, or air conditioner, technically. Um, because when it ex- when the building exploded, it threw the air conditioner out of the window and it landed about six inches away from the side of her head. Oh. And this is a 1970s air conditioner. Oh, that the motherfucker o- was heavy. The only thing that's heavier than that, I mean, other than a dying star, is a 1970s TV. You drop that on the floor and it's going to go into the basement. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and them old fucking... Not much difference between a 1970s TV and a 1980s TV. Yeah. So not much difference between a 1970s air conditioner and 1980s. Right. But still, if you drop it on the floor, it's in your basement now. That's yeah. where it stays, and you need a crane to get it out. Um, so he gets her out. He gets the dogs out. Unfortunately, his four cats never made it out of the explosion. Mm-hmm. That kind of sucks, you know. Um. So Danny and his girlfriend get into his somehow undamaged Cadillac and take off before the cops and bomb squad show up. Uh, Detective Kovacic heard the explosion from his house, because again, he's two blocks away, and was literally the first officer on scene. Um, a lot of people said he was there in his like slippers, sweatpants, and a bathrobe. <laughs> so he just fucking like out the door he went. You know, and um they found uh, the the bomb squad would actually find the unexploded unit out back. It, it's a good thing this one didn't go off because what they found there was a six by four inch block of C4 rigged up to two five gallon cans of gasoline. That's that's roughly enough that if that had gone off, it could have leveled half a city block. So they got a little heavy handed there, but thankfully the blasting caps weren't connected fully uh-huh. there was a a missed uh a missed connection if you will thankfully um so danny would eventually have all the rubble fucking carted off and taken out and he put a pair of single wide trailers on the lot one's his home the other's his office what's his office for doing business what's he in what kind of business is he in we ain't gonna talk about what kind of business we're in <laughs> Okay. That's, that's, that's for me to know and you to find out. But the business office had a banner 
up on the roof that was held up with two pillars, you know, two posts. Uh-huh. Says, uh, future home of the Celtic Club. So we're going to build us a goddamn bar here because I'm sure he had homeowner's insurance on his fucking apartment. So now we don't need that money from the Italians. We got our own from the insurance company. Probably should still pay the Italians back, but eh, fuck them, you know? Um, hey, we'll worry about that tomorrow. So one, one of my favorite details that uh, a lot of people in this book all kind of recounted, they said about 90% of the time, Danny was just kind of hanging out shirtless in his front yard on a lawn chair, drinking beer and waving at people. It was like a full-time job. He'd be out there first thing in the morning just cracking beers like, hey, fucking waving. Reminded, it was a detail that reminded me of Hermie. And I was like, I got to put that in, you know? So th- this could have easily been a show of like, hey, I'm not scared. You know? Yeah, they blew up my house, but they didn't blow up my, they didn't blow up my trailers. Um, and uh, while he was sitting out there, newspaper you know, reporters, people from the local like CBS affiliates and stuff, they would just walk up and start talking to him. And he never turned down an interview. This dude loved attention. Anybody that wanted to talk to him, asking questions, like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go over this. So a few weeks after he started doing these interviews again, after his shit got blown up, he decides to go out for a jog. And uh, he's out, you know, running, not too far from where he self-defensed Mike Fredo. Uh, when some dickhead hiding in the bushes about 200 feet ahead of him takes a shot at him. Mm-hmm. They missed. <laughs> and uh, Danny hits the deck and starts returning fire with his, thir- with his 38. Um, the sniper ran off. I mean, obviously, Danny missed every shot. He's 200 feet away with a 38. I don't care how good you are. You're not hitting shit intentionally at 200 feet with a revolver. No, um, you're not. But, you know, we're not a ballistics podcast. We're not going to go into that. But, you know, uh, you're just not hitting anything that far away. No. Um, a New York Times article that actually came out after Danny's death stated that all things considered, this sniper attack was the 12th attempt on his life. Okay. Wow. In seven years. Over a seven-year period, some they've tried to kill him a dozen times. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... On average, that's like twice a year almost. One year, you just completely skip. Then the other six, you're like, we're going to get this motherfucker, and you just never get him. Um, so Cleveland Magazine posted a poem that was sent in by a, a reader uh, called The Ballad of Danny Green. And this tickled Danny Pink. He absolutely loved the fact that somebody wrote a poem about him. And I unfortunately found it. And it goes a little something like this. Among the crow, the story says, a man was judged by fiercest foe. Many scalps a brave chief took. He fought his way to fame. Often he outwitted death, ere history prized his name. A modern warrior known as Green was very quick, smart, and mean. Ooh, goddamn. This guy's got bars. Look at Eminem. Another white dude coming for you. Uh, he scrambled hard and fought like hell and led a charmed existence. They shot him down and blew him up with most regular persistence. Mm. Mm. We got two rhymes in this bitch now. Get Dre better sign this motherfucker. Like I know this is pre-NWA, but get on it. Through guile and luck and skill, Danny Green is with us still. 
He does his job as he must do with zeal, finesse, and pride. It's hard to keep a good man down with St. Patrick at his side. <laughs> sounds like something some drunk asshole came up with at a bar. Uh, someday he'll good. die, as all we must. Some will laugh, but most will cry. His legend will live on for years to bring his friends mixed pleasure. For he has done both bad and good and lived his life full measure. Bravo. God damn, dude. Somebody <laughs> passed seventh grade English. Fuck yeah. Yeah. He knows about the composition of a poem, kind of. It was good. <laughs> he knows that there's got to be rhymes in it occasionally. It was good. You know, I, I have to say. It's no fucking Haku or whatever they're called. No, he was Haiku. the guy. <laughs> no, Haku was the wrestler that used to bite guys' noses off for calling wrestling fake in bars. <laughs> yes. I mean, King Haiku doesn't have the, the quite the same ring to it, though. It just makes you sound uh-huh. soft. Um, so, after uh, D- Danny's now like he like again, he loved this poem. He had it framed out of the zoo newspaper and hung it in his office. I'm assuming next to his other pictures of Kennedy and shit, he's like he had a heart on for JFK. Yeah. Um. So Danny started moving in on some more traditional Italian rackets in the city. Cause there's a lot of like infighting going on with the family. You got your little factions, like the people that voted for and voted against the new boss. They'll have to work together, but at the same time they're bickering and fucking around, you know, when you hear your family, that's how it works. Yeah. Um, so his old pal, John Nardi is about to make a power move and he did. Yeah. He needs some muscle. And that's where Danny green comes in. Nardi's first move was against a guy called, uh, oh, God, Lips Maseri, who was running a gambling ring. Lips. Lips. I swear to fucking God, Lips Maseri. I couldn't find a first name for this motherfucker other than Lips. Highly doubt his Christian name is Lips. Okay. always a possibility. But his name was Lips because apparently he had giant goddamn lips. (laughs) Shocker. I know, right? It wasn't an ironic name where he had, like, real thin lips, like you call a fat guy tiny. No, this guy had, like, big, like, uh, uh, I think the term would be DSLs. Dick-sucking lips. Ah. (laughs) Um, So he's running a gambling ring, and uh, Nardi informs Lips that uh, he's informed a part of the money because, you know, this is who I am. Uh, You're technically in my territory Uh because Cleveland is mine. And then Lips informs him he is not entitled to shit. You will get nothing and like it. Good day, sir. Fucking Charlie and the Chocolate Factory did him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Lips goes back to the new boss, uh, Blackie Licavelli, and he tells him about their whole exchange. And that night they decide that Nardi and Green have to go permanently. It's not even about the money from the big Italians in New York anymore. These guys are causing shit and we don't want them around. They got to go. So the next move comes against Eugene Casillo, who was uh, Blackie's capo. Who, so if you're not super familiar with with mafia terms, he's high up. He's uh, basically the left hand here. He's not the he's he's below the underboss, but he's still got an important role. He's he's a captain, and that's what that word means. He's a mm-hmm. captain. Um, but they've got to be careful because this is a, this guy is not someone to really fuck with. Um, 
considering he put a man in a coma with a pool ball because he felt he had been cheated during a game and beat his head in with uh, with a cue ball. So, yeah, let's... The kind of guy you want to fuck with from a distance. You don't want to get hand-to-hand with him because he will kill you. Okay. So, Casillo uh, was returning home on July 22nd, 1976 from dinner with his friends. Uh, reaches the top stair of his... Uh, you know, the top stair to go into his house, um, turns the doorknob and an explosive device that had been planted in a flower pot right next to the door went off. Um, about three dozen nails and screws just kind of ripped into his chest, side and stomach. Um, a couple had actually gone in far enough to pierce his gallbladder and large intestine. That's penetration. Cause that's not like just under the skin. There's muscle and fat and shit that has to get through and they got through. Oof. Um, he survives this attack, um, because of course he's got a cousin in the neighborhood that just so happens to be fucking walking by when the explosion goes off and, uh, he brings him to the hospital after a couple weeks in the hospital, he signs himself out and takes off for Florida. Word gets out that he left the hospital on the 26th and another bomb exploded outside his front door. So they went, Oh, he's out. We got to get him. We can get him at the same place. Not realizing he wasn't going home, <laughs> you know? So when Casillo's in the hospital, uh, lips kind of goes missing in mid, uh, mid August here, his car was found at the Akron holiday Inn, which I mean, it's a holiday Inn at in the holiday Inn. in Akron. So, you know, there's bed bugs, you know, there has to be bed bugs here. Um, so when the police uh, got to the car, it's a holiday end, dude. There's bed bugs. <clears throat> They're gross. Um, so when the police got to the car, uh, they were pointed at, pointed to the car, basically, because someone had walked by and noticed a pretty intense smell coming from the car. And uh, they pop the trunk and they find uh, Lips Masseri in there, just kind of full of full of bullets. They, uh, they shot him up, mm-hmm. you know. And dumped him in his own car because that's somehow that was like a, a sign of disrespect was to kill you and leave you in your own car. <laughs> I don't fucking get it. To me, it's a convenience thing. You kill this asshole, you throw him in the trunk, you park it at the fucking airport. Where'd he go? I don't know. In a fucking plane somewhere. You know, then they find your corpse after you have split like a overcooked hot dog. Um, so the last time he was seen alive when he's leaving his gambling hall where Nardi had confronted him earlier and uh, you can't kill a mob underboss and get away with it because Masseri was was very connected. He was le- like legitimately the underboss of the Cleveland crime family. Uh-huh. Um, word came from the five families in New York. So the Bonono, Colombo, Gambino, Genovese and Lucchese families, the big ones. Word comes from them uh, that until Green and Nardi are gone. They are being, quote, put on the shelf, meaning that until this is all said and done, there's no business being conducted between Cleveland and New York because they have to clean their own house for their, you know, before they can have company over. You know what I mean? We can't. We're not involved with you until you take care of this, because this is a fucking problem and we're not helping. Mm-hmm. We tried to help and we got fucked for it. Um Oh, man, here we go with some of these other nicknames. So Blackie calls a meeting of his inner circle, and they decide they need to bring in an outsider. 
So they called Jimmy the Weasel Fratiano, who's the acting boss of the West Coast. He meets with the, the new acting underboss, a guy by the name of Tony Dope. And they have a little conversation at a hotel near the airport. While all this is going on, Blackie goes to New York and has a sit down with the newly crowned head of the Gambino family, Paul Castellano. Another fucking name that you're like, oh, I've heard. I don't know much about the mafia, but I've heard of, t- I've heard of Castellano before, you know. Um, so Tony's telling Fratiano that they plan to lure Danny Green and Nardi to a meatpacking plant in New Jersey, which is not far away from a few places that they would go to pretty often because they went over to Jersey. They'd, they'd hit like uh, Atlantic City and gamble and shit and, you know, fuck around and do their thing. Uh-huh. Um, so here's another tie into an, a future episode at this point. They have the idea that they know this guy who will kill them, change their clothes and freeze their bodies, which to me sounds like some Richard Kuklinski shit. Okay. And um, it's very possible because he was involved with all five families in New York. He could work for all of them because he wasn't made because they weren't going to make an outsider. And because he was Polish, he was an outsider. So you you can't have really any association officially with them. You can work for them, but you're not family. Late in 1976, Tony Dope and Blackie invite Ray... <sighs> Dude, these goddamn names. And we don't... We still got another great goddamn nickname coming up. Tony Dope. Yeah, Tony Dope. Uh, so they invi- uh, invite uh, Ray Ferrito to a meeting. Also Italian, even though Ferrito sounds a whole bunch like Frito, which I automatically think Frito Bandito. Mexican, but he's Italian. Okay. okay. Now that we've cleared that up, <laughs> this is a huge opportunity for uh, to for uh, Ferrito to kind of make a name for himself. Finally, he's he was one of these dudes that from a young age he was involved with the shit. He was a numbers runner as a kid. He was a fucking package boy when he was a teenager in his early twenties. Now he's found himself in a place where he can make a name for himself. So they tell him, you know, get your crew together. Start planning this shit out because you're our guy. We got to get rid of these dickheads. You're the dude we're tasking to do so. So he didn't realize that at this point in time, over a dozen attempts have been made on on Danny Green's life, and he has escaped every single one of them completely uninjured, except for the broken ribs and shit. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the from his apartment. Right. So early in September of that year. Nardi was leaving the American Brotherhood Club in the Little Italy part of Cleveland um, when a sniper starts ripping shots off at him from a nearby uh, train bridge. The American Brotherhood. I never heard of that one. I'm assuming it's kind of like a <clears throat> like another version of like the Italian American Society. Must be something kind of like or that. like the fucking Knights of Columbus or whatever. Uh yeah, something you like know. that. Yeah, I. I, I... I get that. One of those kind of branchy kind of things. Yeah, I'm where just saying, I just never heard of that one before. But I, I hadn't either, and I was like, eh. I kind of was like, it's got to be somewhere in that, that, that neck it's of the gotta woods. It's got to be. It's got to be. Um, so the sniper, is this guy's just taking fucking pot shots at him, and uh, he dives next to his car. Guy fires a couple more rounds at him, comes up empty. Nardi jumps in his car and just fucking stomps on it, gets out of there. A few days later, he's sitting at a red light when a car pulls up next to him. And what caught his attention is the car pulled up next to him with the passenger side window and the driver's side window. Like, so where he's sitting, they pull up parallel. The guy on the passenger side looks over at him. 
And then the car pulls forward a little bit at a red light. So as soon as that car started moving, he just laid down, like got down on the floor because the guy in the back passenger seat rolls the window down and just starts bucking off 12 gauge rounds at it at fucking point blank distance. We're talking, you can't open your car door without hitting the other one distance. Yeah. Misses every fucking shot. Well, because he's laid down, yeah. obviously. Um, <clears throat> so this is the second attempt on Nardi. And uh, now they're like, we got to... We have an idea as to who's behind this. So he has Danny's guys go plant a car on the yeah, plant a car on the bomb. Plant a bomb on the car of a, a guy named <clears throat> a guy named Ali Calabresi. Uh, he has a brand new Lincoln Continental. We gonna blow that motherfucker up. Um, they do this because Calabresi is another he's another one of like one of Blackie's guys, like very <clears throat> yeah. you know, supportive of him. Um so Calabresi shares a neighbor uh God damn. Shares a driveway with his neighbor, uh, Frank Perico. Just a regular dude. No connections. Just working class stiff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just a dude. So since Frank worked early in the morning and Allie's out all goddamn night, he'd get home and he'd park his car behind Frank's. And he'd leave the keys on the floorboard. Frank, it was an agreement. Frank would go out, move his car, get out, put it back, <clears throat> go to work. Uh... Oh, man. So one day Frank goes out and grabs the keys and turns the ignition in Allie's car and it sends bits of fucking Frank in all directions when it explodes. Uh, Bone fragments apparently were stuck in the siding of his own house. Well, that After sucks. Explosion, yeah. Frank's um, no longer going to move his car for him. Yeah, and Frank was just a fucking dude. He didn't know any of this shit. He didn't know who this guy was like connected to. This guy was probably going to fucking mix paint at the hardware store or some shit. Um, but yeah, he, he got blown up pretty good. Yeah. Um, but keep in mind here, Danny is still covered. Nobody can touch him because he is a goddamn rat for the FBI. And after this, Green and Nardi kind of know that we fucked up. We killed an innocent person with our bullshit. So they completely leave Ohio. They go back to Texas. They purchase this giant cattle farm, sight unseen, have no goddamn clue what they're doing. Um, And when they get there, they find out that it's fallen in on itself. The fucking cattle are just not in good condition. So they are basically going to have to start all over again with this whole thing. Probably not worth the money or pain in the ass that's about to go into it. So John Nardi does something. Well, he does something really fucking dumb here. He plans a trip to New York to go meet Paul Castellano face to face because Paul owns a series of meat packing plants. He has some knowledge of the beef industry. Okay. He wants to go ask him advice. He's going to get his meat packed already. Oh, he, he's like, well, I know I know he doesn't like us. He's made it very clear that he wants me dead. I'm going to go ask him for some goddamn business advice about cows. So <sighs> Castellano knows about the money that Danny still owed to Fat Tony. And he knows that there's a target on him. And I'm not sure why they did it this way, but Nardi and Green went to Cleveland first. 
and flew from Cleveland into New York. Why they didn't just go from Texas to New York, I have no idea. I mean, you could have flown like Texas to Atlanta to wherever to New York. But you go home first. Why? Uh, yeah. You're, you're as good as dead if you go back here. You know it. Mm-hmm. But you're going to go there and park your fucking car at the airport. Yeah. So um, they both go. <laughs> they meet with Castellano and they uh, they kind of tell him, you know, if, ask if they would consider, you know, helping out with anything like that. And uh, everything seemed to have gone good here. You know, he's like, you know what? Hey, don't even get a cab. I got a guy that will bring you back to LaGuardia so you can fly back. As soon as that car pulls out of the driveway, he's on the phone. He calls a guy named uh, Butchie Cisterno, who was uh, at the airport in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. So he drives from the airport, well, from his hotel over to the airport, which is apparently across the parking lot. Um, yeah. Plants a bomb under the hood of Danny's car, then drives back to his hotel where he has a good view of mm-hmm. Danny's car. So Green and Nardi get back and uh, they climb in the car and Sesterno is like, he's like, fuck yeah, I got these guys. As soon as he closes, as soon as Danny closes the door, this guy starts hitting the button. So he had the bomb rigged up to the same frequency as a garage door opener. So he's got a, he's got a remote detonator sitting in this hotel room. And I don't know if you know anything about garage door openers. They don't have great range. And he's like, Hundred yards away from this thing, hitting the button. Yeah, that's not. That's not. Nothing's that's too far. Fucking happening, and he's again just pounding this button. Nothing. 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 So they just drive off, and they go back to Danny's trailers. Uh, one of Danny's guys pops the hood to check the oil for on his car again. On his car, not on Danny. Um, he finds the bomb. So luck of the goddamn Irish strikes again. <clears throat> yep. Starts putting out feelers in the underworld and finds out about the contract on his and Nardi's heads. And uh, he tells him, tells him about it. And Nardi goes, quote, Blackie's my friend. He wouldn't hurt me. I've known him my whole life. So that's what we like to refer to as burying the lead. He wouldn't hurt me. We're friends. May 17th, 1977. John Nardi finishes a Teamsters Union Council meeting at the, uh, where he was the secretary treasurer of his branch. Yeah, he's walking across the parking lot when he hit the button in his pocket to open this car door and start the car. Because, you know, that, the pretty pretty common trick for mobsters at this point in time when car bombs are going on. Um, and this is also a time frame where Cleveland had earned the nickname the car, uh, the car bomb capital of the world. Um, and keep in mind, uh, the, the troubles are going on in Ireland where car bombs are a goddamn daily basis. <clears throat> But Cleveland is the car bomb capital of the world. So he has a, a button rigged up to open his door so he doesn't actually have to touch anything. And then he's also got a car starter and case. So he starts it from across the parking lot. All good. Nothing happens. He climbs into the driver's seat of his 1976 Olds 98. Fucking smoking car. Gorgeous car. Until the red Pontiac next to him exploded. <laughs> Several pounds of nails, bolts, and nuts, and just metal shit and chunks of stuff strike Nardi's torso, and the explosion was so powerful that it ripped the roof off of his car as well. Wow. Um, 
Nardi was still alive when his brother Nick got to him. But by the time he arrived by ambulance at St. Vincent's at about 3.30, he was dead. Of course. Uh, yeah, because he got fucking exploded. Yeah. Okay. Two weeks after Nardi's death. Uh, oh, I did find a last name. I forgot it's in here. Tony Dope Del Santer dies of an unexpected heart attack. He's our underboss now. Okay. The guy that's been kind of instrumental in trying to get rid of both of these assholes, but we only got one. So after the after the wake, um, Blackie Licavelli, he takes Ray Ferrito, go out for, we're going to talk business, have a couple drinks. So they go into the back room of a club that he owns, and there was apparently a bunch of tables, like a, a table with a bunch of chairs around it, with just a tape recorder in the middle of it. So he brings Ray in, brings Ray's crew in, brings his personal guys in, they all sit down, and he just hits play. He's like, what the fuck is this? So it's a tape that has been acquired from the dental office of Dr. Candoli. Um, and the call is between Danny's girlfriend, Debbie, and the receptionist, where Debbie explains that Danny's got a loose filling. It's been bothering him for a couple of days. He needs it fixed. Now we know where we can find Danny Green for at least, I don't know, maybe an hour to to have a, a filling fixed, you know. We, we, we know where to keep track of him for a little bit. Um, okay. So on October 5th, Ferrito drives to the apartment of Ronnie the Crab Caribbean. <laughs> I told nice. you there was still another good one. That's a good one. Okay. They would assemble three sticks of dynamite with a package of nails, nuts, and bolts into a bomb that they put into kind of like a little cardboard case uh-huh. just to contain it. The following day, Ferrito drives his blue Plymouth into the parking lot of the Brainerd Medical Building. The crab follows in a maroon 1970 Chevy Nova. Fucking hot. Like, yeah. Uh, the old the old body style Novas were fantastic. Oh, so of course. nice. Yeah. So he parks it a couple spaces down from the Plymouth and he goes and climbs into the passenger seat with Ray. At 2.15, another vehicle, dark in color, Chevy, they didn't know specifically what it was, park a couple spaces down on the other side of Ray's car. This car contains two men with high-powered automatic weapons. These are the contingency plan. Okay? 2.45, Danny shows up, rolls in in his goddamn Kelly Green Lincoln, and he parks in an empty space right between two other cars kind of throws a wrench in the works because we're hoping we left all these spaces. Maybe he'll park here. Yeah. Trying yeah. to direct him into, yeah. into one space. Um, and Ray starts to panic a little bit. He's like, fuck, what are we going to do now? You know? So Danny walks within 50 feet of the vehicle that Ray's sitting in. He walks behind that vehicle and he walks directly next to the vehicle with these two armed men in it. As he's passing between the vehicles, there's these two women that are that have walked out of the building that pass next to him. So they can't even shoot him. Yeah. They also didn't realize that this green leather bag that he had apparently had a Browning high power and about about a thousand rounds of nine millimeter in it. So had it come down to it and they had missed their initial shot, he'd have killed every motherfucker in the parking lot. Just fucking Mick John Wick. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so one of these guys apparently, as he was 
like getting past these women started to lean out the window with his rifle and Ray is fucking waving him back in like get in the fucking car you idiot you know um so he gets in and uh Ray Ray's pissed he looks he rolls his window down he tells the two guys with the guns he goes, you get the fuck out of here we got this I don't want you guys fucking this up on me because you're gonna do, you're gonna shoot him. Then you're just gonna lose your shit and start shooting at other people. Because you're idiots. So he kicks them out of the entire scenario. So now he's got everything going on in his head. How are we gonna get him? This is when the fucking Italian god just like smiles down on him. He goes, "Yes, my son. I put that car there intentionally." Mm. The two women that had walked past him. We're parked on the driver's side of Danny's car. So, uh, Ferrito is like, yes, we got it. We got this motherfucker. He gets the crab. He goes, like, you move the, move the Nova. So he backs that car in next to Danny's. He parked it close enough that he couldn't really. It was close enough that he had to get out the passenger side door of the car. Arms the bomb, sets it back in. Um, and they just now wait. They see Danny coming out three, it's three twenty-five, and, um, Danny's walking out. And the thing with old Lincolns is they have really long doors. So you can't open them without hitting anything here. Mm-hmm. So Danny squeezes himself in between his car and this Nova. Swearing like a fucking trooper. Yeah, he's his sons of bitches parking like assholes. Yeah. And he's being real careful trying to open his door and not hit the Nova. And as soon as he opened his door, the Nova exploded. Throws him about 35 feet in the air. Oh. <laughs> he lands on his back at the tail end of his own car after he hit the trunk lid. Bam. <clears throat> Bounced down onto the, the ground. Um, his clothes are almost completely missing. His left arm is blown off at the shoulder. And what was left of it would be found over 100 feet away from the initial blast. The luck of the Irish has officially run out. Yeah. Danny Green is dead. Oh. Okay. Ray Ferrito, absolutely thrilled that he has killed the Irishman. The guy that everybody wants dead, and he's the one that did it. Unfortunately... His excitement wouldn't last real long because right after the Nova exploded, because as soon as Danny got to the, like came out, they start, they pulled out of the parking lot and they kind of circled back by. And as soon as he got in fucking um, Ronnie, whatever it was a Ronnie, I think is in the backseat with his fucking remote controlled car and uh, antenna yeah, with yeah. the controller. And this is the seventies. So the goddamn controller was probably the size of my computer. Yeah. Yeah. And he hits the button, blows it up. As soon as this explosion happens, he makes eye contact with the driver of an oncoming car whose name is Debbie Spoth. She's got her husband, Greg, in the passenger seat. When they drove by, Debbie and Greg both noticed somebody fucking around with this giant remote control in the back of the car. And she locked eyes with Ray a second before this. Um, And a bunch of flying shit is now pinging off the outside of their car. Because they were pretty close to the explosion. Mm. Um, Greg tells her, he's like, fucking turn around. He's like, I want to get the plate number because something's not right here, you know? Greg's just, he's egging her on. Go, 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 just go. Catches up with him. He gets the the plate number. 
Um, Farido's probably like, what's this crazy broad doing? Like, just turned, maybe she's just freaked out by the explosion and she just turned around and happened to get on the same entrance ramp to the highway as us. Um, he didn't know that she was the daughter of a Berea city detective. Berea is a, uh, oh, suburb yeah. of Cleveland. Yeah, yeah. Um, or that she had a really good memory mm-hmm. or that she was a gifted sketch artist. <laughs> so when they got home, she makes a couple of phone calls first to her father, Art, uh, Art Volpe, which is another fantastically Italian name. Um, and he tells her, draw the guy and then, uh, come down to the station tomorrow morning. You know, I'll get somebody from Cleveland P- uh, PD. We'll go talk to him. So they go to the Cleveland Police Department and they speak with Lieutenant Andy uh, Andy Vanyo. Um, tell him all the information they have. Give him the plate number, description of the car, all of this stuff. Um, and her dad kind of pulls him aside and he goes, keep this quiet. It's like, we don't need the feds involved. We can bust this prick ourselves. We got this. You know, so they're like, okay, cool. No worries. Um, so she sits down with, uh, with Lieutenant Vanyo. Um, he slides a couple of pictures across at her and she goes, okay. And, uh, she goes, uh, is one of these guys, uh, your guy. And she f- apparently flipped her drawing over, slid it next to Ray Ferritos and spun them both and just slid them back to him. He goes, you tell me it was dead ass. The same guy from the mugshot and the drawing. So she nailed it. Okay. He obviously agrees like, yeah, yeah, this is our guy. So he starts pulling mug shots of his known associates. Her and Greg both immediately are like, that's the guy that had the remote in the back. Okay. Mid November, 1977, Ferrito is picked up by the FBI in Pittsburgh and extricated back to Cleveland. Cause if there's one thing Pittsburgh hates other than Baltimore, it's Cleveland. And it's all because of football. Nah. You know? Um, yes. Also, Philadelphia because Philadelphia is disgusting. Nah. Um, so this is kind of where everything would turn into like a court procedural. And that's not what I wanted to get into. I don't want to cover the fucking trial and all this yeah, bullshit. Yeah. Put it this way. Ray Ferrito fucking flipped on everybody. Did a couple years in prison. Got let out. Went into the well, went into Whitpro. And then when they did a documentary before, so there's a book written called kill the Irishman. Um, there's an interview in there somewhere. Cause I want to get it and actually read it where uh, Rick Perello, the guy that wrote it actually sat down and talked to him. And he was also interviewed in a documentary and just kind of goes through everything. Um, but I want to end it with a quote from, Detective Kovacic, just because he was actually upset when Danny was killed. It's like, you don't like the guy, but you like the guy, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, And he said, when Danny Green got blown up, there was this picture in the newspaper of Danny's severed hand pointing pointing outward with his uh, index finger. And I said to my partner, you know what he's doing? He's pointing at the guys who got him. He's going to get everyone, and he's going to get every one of them. And he did. He got every one of them. Danny Green was one unique uh, was one unique person. He was not a run of the mill hoodlum of the type that I'm used to dealing with. He was different. He said to me once, "All us Irish go to heaven." 
I'm not sure if he was right or not, but if I'm lucky enough to pass through the pearly gates, I'd be astounded to see Danny Green. More likely, he's in a hot place with no cold water and no air conditioning. <laughs> and that is the end of Danny Green. Nice. So, I had a fucking blast with yeah, all of this. All 21 goddamn pages of this episode that I wrote. <laughs> but I had a lot of fun with this one. Um, I love doing mobster shit anyway. I've always been fascinated by him. Um, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. It's pretty cool. Oof. So, cool. if you guys want to hear more Mafia shit, it's going to be a minute, but I will. Yeah? <laughs> I need to take a break. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was good. A good little episode. A little four-parter, three-parter, right? Three. Three-parter. Very yeah. easily could have been four, but. Yeah. Uh, that said, uh. If you want to hear an extra episode a month, a week, go on over to patreon.com forward slash dark windows podcast and, uh, or dark windows, dark windows podcast podcast. Okay. Yes. And for $5 a month, you get a free, it's free cause you paid five bucks. Yeah. You get another episode. You get a mid quality episode yeah. of a shit tier show. You got it. <laughs> also, uh, another place, go over to studio.com. Check them out. They got uh, headphones, earbuds, Bluetooth speaker. Uh, find what you want. Put it in your basket. Put it in, put the promo code of DarkWindows15 in. Get 15% off your entire purchase. Also, once again, social media. Go check it out. You know where to go. Uh, Facebook. We're on Instagram. Uh, we're on Twitter. Mostly Facebook. Yes. On DarkWindows Pod podcast. Um, Dark Windows Pod for Instagram and Twitter. Uh, let's see. Also, a uh, quick shout out to our two newest Patreon uh, patrons because we got two last week. Uh, Kale Raymond and Coda Tucker. Thanks, guys. Uh, Thank enjoy you. your Thank you. will be f- first fresh episode, I guess, this week. Um, yeah, and I'll have stickers out to you shortly. It's been a rough week with the kiddo. He's been, he had shots and stuff, so he's been a little fussy. So we're still working on the stickers, but you'll get him. I promise. Nice. Um, but with all that being said. Just because you can't see it out in the dark doesn't mean the dark can't see into you. Have goodbye. a good one. Bye-bye. <laughs>